So we're here just over one year after the murder of George Floyd. According to Time, if the past year has been, as is so often claimed, the one in which the ugly scar of American inequality ripped open so wide that few could deny it, it should also be known as the year when a bold and opportunistic set learned to better talk the talk of needed change. Still, even in a country that prides itself on allowing citizens to speak freely and then act to change public policy accordingly, the renewed attention given to racial injustice has scarcely been matched with parallel action. And this was the part that really got us. The problem is as clear as ever. What America is going to do about it is not. So that's where we bring you today's conversation, a reflection of what we've experienced this last year collectively and personally, and most importantly, an introduction to our summer of action. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism. We're your biracial hosts, Sarah and Misasha. So in hearing that quote from Time that you read, Sarah, what do you think about that? I mean, where do we go from here? I think we've seen a range, right? We've seen performative allyship in the form of the black square on Instagram, right? You know, your one black friend, the surge in interest, especially among white Americans in Black Lives Matter and in anti-racism work in the few months after George Floyd's murder, followed by the, are we going to do this all summer question that I, I think we've heard and not just once. So this is kind of a different episode because Sarah, I want to ask you, what for you has been the biggest shift in your consciousness and also our own cultural consciousness since May 25th of last year? And when you're thinking about that, I want to also ask you, where have we failed? It's a great question. You know, for me, in terms of my personal shift of consciousness, I have to tell you, I've been on this personal journey and I think it almost started, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be in these conversations with you, Misasha, as you know, we learn so much about our history and we question things like policies and we're sort of teaching and sharing as we learn. And at the very same time, I find it interesting that it took us nearly two years of being in this podcast to really look at our own Asian identities. And for me, when I got the phone call from my white male friend the day after the Atlanta shootings asking me how I was doing, it uncovered feelings. Like I didn't know I felt so aligned to my Asian identity until that happened. And so one of my biggest shifts in my consciousness has been the changing narratives around my own personal identity as now even like things like not using language like half Japanese, half white, but shifting it to be, I am biracial, I am Japanese and white, and really finding roots again in the dual cultures that I was raised in. You know, I've said it in so many conversations, probably outside this show, but I think the first half of my life was very heavily Asian identified for me in my life and living under my mom's roof and with the friends and all the culture and the diversity we had. And then the second half of my life being married to a white man and having white presenting children living in the white heart of America has been really exploring that white identity. And I feel like that phone call, that experience with the murder of the women in Atlanta really like catapulted me into having both worlds come together and being able to really reground myself in the biracial identity that I have. So I think for me, that's the biggest shift in my consciousness and continuing to learn history. As for 
sort of where we have failed, you know, or personal like questions. I do constantly question whether I'm doing enough, which is why I'm excited for the series of conversations we have coming up this summer. You know, as for collective consciousness failure, I think what I'm seeing now is the tremendous divide between people who have we thinking versus me thinking. And from all that I understand about human psychology and how groups can thrive, we have to shift this or the country is done. You know, you can really, really see the people who are scrambling for power, who are leaning into fear, who are making hypocritical or at the very best, maybe inconsistent thinking type of laws. This idea of Texas, for example, going and saying that anybody can just carry a handgun now. You don't need a license. You don't need to get trained. You can just get one. It's a deadly weapon. You need a license to operate a vehicle. You have to get training to operate like a car. Why are we giving guns? Like So this inconsistent thinking for the sake of an empty, to me, this idea of like the constitutional right, when we have to take that in context of when it was written. So anyway, I see this divide, this huge divide in thinking. And I think that is what frightens me the most about where we're at as a collective culture. What about you? So uh, first of all, I appreciate everything you said, because I I think so much of that rings true for me as well. You know, I think this year has really pushed me to care less about other people's comfort in like conversational surroundings, right? I think that we have this year of where we have been able to actually talk about issues of race and anti-racism in ways that I don't think I've experienced in my life before. And that, you know, has given me some hope, right? And on my side, I've really wanted to push that a little bit because I spent a large portion of my life and part of that I attribute to how I was raised, right? You worry about other people's comfort. You worry about not making people feel uncomfortable in conversations. And I would worry about that, you know, when I was talking about race and racism and my own family's personal experiences and my own experiences and worry that I was making people uncomfortable. And now I just don't care. I think that, yeah, like we are going to be uncomfortable about this. It is uncomfortable, but the more that we like let that stop us from having real conversations, like real talk, not like, you know, this performative allyship crap that we've been sometimes caught up in, that's how we're not going to move forward, right? And so I I hate when conversations have stopped because of that, right? Because we do need to push each other. It's kind of, we have to be pushed to be better, right? We have to be pushed to be challenged. And it's when we make those mistakes and when we're challenged that we really grow. And I come really, you know, wholeheartedly bought into that this year because I think that it's been uncomfortable for me in a lot of ways to think about, you know, what I have thought and what I have talked about and what I have not talked about, what I've been okay with people not talking about. You know, where I think we've failed is that we we're still sort of stuck in that, right? We're stuck in the, let's analyze this, you know, like, let's be very intellectual about this. And, you know, I say this as someone who is a big analyzer and likes being very intellectual about stuff, but like, Sarah, I don't even know if I told you this story, but when I was talking to my older son about another instance of Asian hate crime, right? And he looked at me and he was like, very seriously said, I'm worried. I don't want you to get shot. 
And it's one of those moments, you know, like it's a kid, like those parenting moments, you're just like, everything stops. Right. And you're just like, oh my God, I was like, I'm not going to get shot. And he's like, well, you need to pinky promise me. And it wasn't just a pinky. It was like the full five fingers. Like we had to go down. And as we're doing this, like, I am sitting here thinking like, that is my fear for you, right? That is my fear for your brother. That's my fear for your father. Like, that's not my fear for me. And I was like, and this, you know, was fairly recent this in the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, this is bullshit that we have had a whole year. And I feel not at all better about that for you. Right. And so I think that is where I feel like we have stalled, right? We have done a lot of analyzing. We have done a lot of intellectualizing, but we have not transformed that into practical action. So when I'm thinking about this year, right, there's hope and there's optimism. And then there's a whole hell of a lot of like muted and listening. And that's great because centering other voices is really important. But I keep coming back to, and I think we've come back to on this show too, have we just stopped there, right? Is that our failure? And I think we've seen this in other civil rights periods, you know, the big push forward and then the backlash that follows largely from white Americans, you know, but this time that's not good enough. Do you have more than one Black friend or more than one Asian friend or one Hispanic friend or let alone even spoken to someone who's a Native American? Do you think that simply having those friends is enough? What are you saying about race and racism when you're in a group of people who look exactly like you, not when just those friends that you have from different races are around? I know those are really hard questions. And and we know those are really hard questions. And and those are the ones that we ask on our show, but we have to ask them because those are the same questions you should be asking of yourself as well. You know, and I think about this newsletter from the start of the year, it was a great anti-racism daily one. And it was about recommitting to your role in the anti-racism struggle. And the quote that really resonated is, you know, well, there was a couple, but, and if we expect accountability from our community, we have to stay accountable to ourselves and the space we take up in the work. If we're not willing to be in relationship with our role, how can we hold ourselves accountable in our communities? Understanding our individual contributions only strengthens the whole and resources everyone collectively. Thank you so much for sharing all of that, because it was the question I was going to ask you. Do you feel better or worse about your kids and the situation that we're in as a country a year out? You know, we've started the show because of the worries you have for your family. That was a year before George Floyd was murdered. And here we are, you know, over a year out now. And, and to hear you say you don't feel like anything has changed, you know, that's real. And I really appreciate you sharing that. There was another quote from Anne Russo from Prison Culture, and it was called Strategies for Cultivating Community Accountability. But this was also particularly good. And it says, each person has a unique role to play to shift any situation. And I want you all to think about yourselves right now as you're hearing this. Some might be in a good position to support the person harmed whereas others might be in a better position to cultivate accountability with the person causing the harm. Some might have material resources to offer. Others might organize community support. And still others might offer perspective on the underlying roots of the violence. With more people, any situation can shift towards healing, accountability, and transformation. And so what does this mean? What it means is that you, anybody who's listening, right, you take the time to get to know yourself, your values, your strengths, your resources, and you get to know them better. And then you look for somewhere you can lead. And that really leads us into what we're doing this summer because we're looking for intentional, thoughtful change. And that means action, people. We're not looking for muted and listening anymore. We want you to right now think about what you've done in the past year to move the needle on anti-racism. And if you can't think of something, we're going to push you. 
Our whole summer series is designed to focus on the practical ways in which you can be intentional in the spaces that you are already leaders in. But as Anti-Racism Daily points out, it's not just the spaces that may naturally be open to you or those where you immediately feel comfortable in. And this is from them. They say, in addition to selecting a space to lead from, consider how you can grow into some of the other spaces that feel less familiar. The goal is not to become an expert in all things. That's more likely to lead to fatigue and burnout than making an impact. But identifying micro ways to lean into these spaces may help you resource yourself as the work continues. It will also help you connect more deeply with others leading from that space and perhaps even context when you're looking to bring more people in with those skills. Remember, you may find that your role evolves. You might find yourself with access to new power or privilege or in a different community that calls for different skills. And you might also evolve into another as your journey progresses. Welcome these shifts if they help you stay accountable to the work. So this summer, we're bringing you all of that. We're bringing you concise episodes on cyber activism, cross-racial friendships, wallet power, protests, testifying in politics, concepts of beauty, inclusion in your workplace, and so much more. These episodes are designed to be practical first and foremost, and our hope is that you listen and then take what you've heard and go out and act. Tell all your friends, because we need all of you in this. Two years after the murder of George Floyd, so by next year, we want to ask you, and you should want to ask yourself, what did you do? And then we want to hear that list and look for the change. Love what you're hearing? Follow us at the Dear White Women podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts to get our fresh new insights on how you can help dismantle systemic racism one conversation at a time every Wednesday. Do you love learning via visuals? Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dear White Women Podcast and at Twitter at DWW Podcast. And do you want us to keep making good work? Support our Patreon and keep an eye out for opportunities to use our webinars, DEI consulting work, and more if you want us to help bring change into your own spaces.